Good morning, Resurrection Life Church family and friends. Thank you for joining us here and online. I don't know if you've been keeping up with what's going on. Um, I don't don't watch a lot of the uh, news that's on TV and that type of thing because a lot of it is just not anything that I really want to give my attention to. But I want to give my attention to, uh, to what God's doing. And how many of you know you're not going to see that often on the 6 o'clock news? Uh, you're not going to read it in your newspapers. But that doesn't mean God's not doing anything. We become very aware, I've become very aware as I've continued to look and dig and, and uh, research uh, what's, what's going on in our country. It's been going on in other countries for quite a while, but it is, it is hitting our country in a way that hasn't been for, for a long time. And it's, uh, it's people getting together and, and worshiping God and praising God and honoring God and, and seeking God and longing for God and other people repenting of their sins and, and turning more fully to God for Him to have His way in their lives. And, and like Asbury University or Lee University, but there are all sorts of places across the country that this is happening. There's also revivals that are happening in the cities of our country, Chicago, Los Angeles. There are people that are going out into the streets and, and praying and praising God, worshiping God. People are coming. People are getting saved. People are getting delivered. And, and I am telling you, this is, this is what we've been studying about. One of the things that has, has just so encouraged me is that I am hearing more teachings and people talking about what we've been talking about, about Ezekiel, the, the vision that God gave to Ezekiel and the dry bones coming to life and how Joel speaks of this outpouring of the Spirit. And this is what's going on in our, our country. And sometimes we can say, oh, you know, I wish I, I could get there. God doesn't want you to have to get there. God wants to do it here. God wants to do it right where you are. Because guess what? Where you are, He is. He's right there. And sometimes we, we get this idea, i got to go somewhere. You know, it used to be under the old covenant, if you were going to meet with God, you had to go to the temple. God said, I'm not having any more of this. I'm coming out of the Holy of Holies. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, He ripped. The power of God ripped the veil. Now, how many of you have seen people that just, they, they, they want to impress somebody and they rip their shirt off? You know, I've seen basketball players. They're, they're on the court. They've got these pants on. They've got buttons, snaps all the way down the side, and they go, Boom. now they're ready to go. God didn't rip something flimsy. This veil was thick. Thicker than phone books put together. And God said, this is it. I'm coming out. I am no longer going to be in a place where you have to come to me. I am going to live in you. Oh, I'm telling you, that's amazing. How many of you get the bank to deliver money to you? Oh, okay. We now have 
grocery stores and things delivering things to us. We are delivered more things than ever before. But God said, I'm not going to deliver things to you. I'm going to deliver myself to you. And I'm going to live in you. I'm never going to leave you. Once we receive Christ as our Lord, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us and empower us and impart to us gifts. And, and as we allow Holy Spirit to have His way in our lives, this fruit begins to develop in our lives. And guess what that fruit does? It begins to bring great benefits to all the people that we come in contact with. God wants us to benefit the people around us. But it only happens as we allow God to have His way. And we've been learning about this. We've been learning about how, how God does what He does. And today we're going to go back where I'm going to just kind of remind you of Ezekiel and what happened because there are some people here that weren't here when we went over that. And then what we found out in Joel quickly. But before we do, I want to share a story with you. It was about a, a family that had two daughters, an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. And their dad was coming home. And they were waiting at the door, looking through the glass pane of the door, waiting for their dad to pull in the driveway. And, and they had determined that they were going to run to their dad. Now, I don't know anything about that. Because we had boys, they never ran to me when I drove home. Many times they were running from me because of what they had done. But uh, these, these two little girls, an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, were waiting for daddy. And they saw his truck coming down the road, pulled in the driveway, and the eight-year-old bolted through the door. Dad had hardly gotten around the truck, and she grabbed onto his legs with both arms and then wrapped her legs around his legs. And the little five-year-old, you know how they do, she's coming behind, but she just can't move as fast as the eight-year-old. And the eight-year-old knew it. And the eight-year-old announced proudly and loudly, I've got all of daddy, which at that moment slowed the eight-year-old down to just a trudge, and she almost broke into tears. She approached her dad. The dad did what every dad would do. He sees his little five-year-old. He's thrilled about the eight-year-old wanting to be with him, but he sees his five-year-old hurt and almost in tears, and he reaches down. And gathers her up in his arms and gives her this wonderful hug. Which caused a transformation in the five-year-old. Who about to cry bursts into giggles and laughs. And she at that moment, now so thrilled, loud and proud announces to everyone, especially to her sister... You may have all of daddy, but daddy has all of me. And I tell you that because both these girls represent how we should interact with our father. We should be so thrilled to be able to run to our daddy and grab onto him with both hands. Never let go. But it's not just that. Our relationship with our Heavenly Father isn't about us just grabbing onto Him. We need to. We, we grab at a lot of things, don't we? Every day we grab at things. 
But we ought to be grabbing onto God with both hands. I shared that a few weeks ago. And we should be like the five-year-old that we give God all that we are. We grab God, but we also give God everything. Because without both of those, we'll never have the relationship, the intimacy that God has for us to experience abundant life, to experience the victory, to experience the freedom and the joy and the peace and the hope that he intends for us to have. If it's all based on us holding on to him, how many of you know we get tired? But God doesn't. So when we get tired of holding on, we know that God's still holding us. God will never let go of you. And that's why he, he has made a commitment to always be with you and showing you what, what his commitment is. His commitment is complete. He gave his son. There's not anything he won't withhold. And so we need to be totally committed to him, holding on to him, being held by him, because the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, it says that the eyes of the Lord search across all the earth. He's looking for someone. How many of you know there are a lot of people for God to look at? He's looking for a specific type of person. The Bible tells us so he can show himself strong on their behalf. What do you think happens when God shows up and does what God can do? It's not like anything else. It's life-giving. It's liberating. It's full of joy and peace. And, and so we need that, don't we? Don't we want God to show up and show himself strong on our behalf? And, and this says that, that God's searching for someone to do that to. I want to be that person. But he tells us how we can be that person. To those whose hearts are fully turned or fully committed to him. Fully committed to him. And we've been learning about this. This is, this is about someone who, who really, really, really wants God more than anything else. Wants God's will in their lives. Wants God's way. Wants God's word. Wants God's spirit. And Ezekiel was that person. When we read in Ezekiel chapter 37 about the Valley of Dry Bones... It says that all the nation of Israel had lost all their hope. It was completely gone, and they didn't even have any expectation that their nation would survive. And God picked Ezekiel. Out of all Israel, God picked Ezekiel to show him what he was going to do and allow him the privilege of being involved with what he was going to do. Because Ezekiel's heart, was fully turned towards God, fully committed. He feared the Lord. He had a great reverence and awe and respect of God. And we know that because God shows him this, this mess of bones and asks him, can they live? And, and he shows immediately how much he is in awe of God, how much he is, reveres God and, and, and honors God and esteems God. He said, God, only you know the answer to this. 
when God says, can these live? Can these become living people again? And he shows who he's totally committed to, totally trusting in. And then he shows he's going to be obedient because God tells him what to speak and he speaks to the bones and, and the bones come to, together. They become fully formed bodies, but there's no life in them. Just like a lot of people today. Just like a lot of situations. They're dead and dry and gone and we don't know if they'll ever live again. And God says, yes, they will. But you, you have to prophesy. You have to speak inspired and directed by me. Speak life as I direct you. And as he did, they came together, but there was no breath in them. And so God again tells Ezekiel, speak to the breath, which we found out the word breath means spirit. It was, it was him calling out to the spirit of God to come and breathe on the slain that they would live again. And in John chapter 6, verse 63, it says it's the spirit that gives life. And so he did that, and they rose up. When the spirit of God came in to those bodies, just like when the spirit of God comes into our bodies, until the spirit of God comes into us when we receive Christ as our Lord, we repent and turn our lives over to Christ we, we are the walking dead because who we really are, a spirit, is not alive to God. But when the spirit of God comes into us, we have this new life. And these bones, these bodies rose up as an exceedingly great army. This was not just true about Israel. This is what God wants to do in the church. This is what God wants to do in your life and my life. Bring things that have died or the enemy has stolen back to life as he is allowed to have his way in those things. And then we began to look at Joel chapter 2 because these two scriptures are what I started to study last year because of what God was speaking to my heart about this year, that this is going to be a year of resurrection. He's bringing things to life. And we're seeing it. We're seeing it in our society with the revivals that are going on. But there's a reason for that because of what things are occurring before we see the outburst of revival. And part of it is what we see in the book of Ezekiel, that there has to be a unity. And then the Spirit of God comes and there is life that revives those things, resurrects those things. And in the book of Joel... Chapter 2, we began to look at this last week, and before we go any further, we're just going to pray, so if you'd bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we invite you to speak to our hearts and our lives, our situations and circumstances. You know everything. There's nothing hidden to you. But Father, we, we know in part, but we need you. We need your participation. We need your guidance. We need your adjustment. We need your perspective. We need your spirit. We need your word. Father, it sounds very much like we're very needy people, but you are a very generous God. And we're so grateful we don't have to go to anyone or anything else but you, Jehovah Jireh, 
will supply our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So today, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the provision that you make for abundant life, for victory, for health and peace and joy and hope, security and stability. Father, our ears are open to hear what you are saying to us individually and collectively as the church. We thank you for what only you can do. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. So in, in Joel chapter 2, uh, we've looked at this, and I'm just going to review a little bit because there was something in here that I know that I didn't go over last week, but it was as I was studying and going over my notes, I felt very impressed that I need to make this clear. But it says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit, this is God, on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my men servant and on, on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So we see here that God is saying, this is what I'm going to do. There are three groups that the spirit of God is being poured out on. But it says afterwards, which is pointing towards a future event. That he's going to pour out his spirit on all what? All flesh, everyone, saved and unsaved, he's pouring his spirit out. He's doing this right now. Then he says, on your sons and your daughters and your old men and your young men. Now, who is he speaking this to? The nation of Israel. He's talking about the Jewish sons and daughters, old men and young men. How many Jewish people do we have here? That's what I thought. Because we're, we're, we're what they would consider Gentiles. All right? So this doesn't apply to us. God's going to do this. He's going to pour out His Spirit at a future time where the nation of Israel, the Jews, the young men, the sons and the daughters, the old men, they're going to prophesy, they're going to dream dreams, they're going to have visions, all right? But then he says, on my men servant and women servants. Who's that? Exactly, that's the church, that's you. Anybody that is not Jewish, it's, it's including us. And he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on my servants. Now listen, because that word servants means laborers, but it also means worshipers. It means ministers. And, and don't get tripped up by that because any person that's a minister is a servant. It means soldiers and it means ambassadors. That is every aspect of what you and I are supposed to be. We're supposed to be worshipers, not just on Sunday. Do you know the Bible says if we don't worship God, we don't praise God, the rocks and the stones will cry out. Man, we should be praising God and worshiping God every day. Don't leave it for one day because he deserves it all the time. We're supposed to be ministers. Every one of us has a calling. Every one of us is a minister. There's not a human being in the body of Christ that does not have a calling from God. Well, you may say, I don't know what my calling is. How do I know? Well, you just have to look at a few things. And we don't have time to go into it today, but sometime maybe in the future we will. Soldiers. 
We're in a battle. We need to be fighting the good fight of faith. We're supposed to be a soldier in a battle. Now, we have more exposure to understanding, even though we may have never been in conflict in the military. We see what's going on. Where? In the world. But where, where recently has there been this just incredible battle, war? Yeah, in the Ukraine. And we see people that have made that a very important aspect of their lives because they do not want to be overrun. We need to make sure we're not overrun by the enemy because he's out there to steal, kill, and destroy. And we've got to fight the good fight of faith. And then, then it talks about ambassadors. Jesus told us we're to be his ambassadors. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth, witnesses. So all of those things, he said, this is what my spirit is there for, to cause you to be empowered, to impart to you what you need, to fulfill these roles that I have for you, these functions, this honor of being co-laborers with me. And from here, we went to look and see where this was, was being fulfilled, and we went to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 we saw that on, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now this too is an indication of these people just like whether it was Ezekiel having the fear of the Lord and, and being submissive and obedient to what God had, or it was Joel prophesying about something that people weren't going to see for Many, many years, right here, the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place. This, this reveals the fear of the Lord that these people had. There was an honor, there was a reverence, there was a respect, there was an awe, there was a trust, and there was an obedience of these people to God, because Jesus was the one that told them, wait, wait for power from on high. That then you'll be my witnesses. Wait. And so they waited. They waited. They were in an upper room. They were in a room that was locked because they were afraid of what the Jews could do to them because they just crucified Christ. And yet they were willing to be obedient. They were going to honor God over their fear of what might happen to them. Now, I will tell you, we, we rarely in this country, if ever, have to fear what our obedience to God will produce negatively in our lives. You know, somebody may say, oh, you Jesus freak. Oh, you fanatic. You go to church every week? I go Easter and Christmas. Yeah, I heard that. Christmas and Easter only CEOs. Listen, I don't care if they're CEOs as long as they get in church at least once. For the opportunity for them to hear the gospel and hear what God has for them and the option. Talk to a young man this week who was saying that things were difficult in his life and, and he, uh, he was really struggling and didn't know the Lord. And 
his, uh, his equipment wasn't working real well, so he started to just listen to the radio instead of his playlist. And he heard Caleb. And Caleb was directing him to get plugged into a church. And he went to a church, and he got saved, and he is so excited about what God is doing. And, you know, that's happening. That's happening all over. There are people out in the streets in Chicago and L.A. that are preaching the gospel. Other believers are coming along to praise God and to support them. And other people are coming along to see what's going on because they see this crowd. Now, as, as a kid, we used to do this and just kind of mess with other people. And it wasn't a great thing, but it was funny, at least at the time. My friends and I would go out and we'd, we'd stand there and we'd look up, you know, at a, at a strip mall. And you'd get people that would start to stop. They would stop. They wouldn't say anything. They'd stop, and they'd be like. And eventually, somebody would say, what are you looking at? I don't see it. We'd say nothing and walk off. <laughs> but, but crowds draw crowds. And these crowds are drawing people, and people are getting saved in the streets of our cities. There are revivals going on on campuses across the United States. People are repenting. People are getting saved. And, and God wants to do this everywhere. But God needs some things for revival to really happen. And, and we're the ones that choose. I choose whether I am going to allow God to have his way and let revival occur in my life and through my life. Just like we all do. And so these people had chosen, they chose to stay in that place that was possibly a liability and chose to be in one accord. I'm going to tell you something. Without the fear of God, we will never unite. The people in that room, some were zealots, some were traitors, some were fishermen. I mean, there was a variety of people that should not have gotten along. But they did. They chose to make God a priority over their differences, which is very different than what the church and what America is doing today. We're choosing to make our differences a priority over unity. Now, I, I'm not saying compromise, but I'm saying in the church, there is more that we agree on than we disagree on. And a lot of the peripheral things are what we're using to divide us. And that is in stark contrast to what Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed that we would be one. Every time we entertain a division that is not over salvation through Jesus alone, we are working against Jesus' prayer. And we're making minors major. We're majoring on the minors. And we're allowing division to come. And what do we know that the Bible tells us about division? Anything divided will what? Not stand. Whether it's a family, a church, whether it's a city, whether it's a country, or a kingdom. And we're seeing that happen before our very eyes. And yet, there's something happening in the midst of that. We're seeing different people of different ages, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different 
economic strata come together and God is permeating that environment and people are, are giving their lives to the Lord. People are repenting. People are getting healed. What do we want? Do we want that or do we want the division that we've currently experienced? And what are we willing to give up to be able to rise up to be that exceedingly great army that God intends us to be? I can't answer that for you. No one can answer it for you. I can only answer it for me. And you can only answer it for you. But if you want to be a part of what God is doing and will continue to do, then we have to take seriously who's the most important and what's the most important thing in our life. And the only answer to that, truly, if I'm a Christ follower, is God and his word. And so they, they, they had a fear of God, so they were obedient, a reverence of God. And, and one of the things I realized was I hadn't really defined reverence. We, we don't understand reverence, and we really don't experience honor in our society. And the word reverence means to revere, and I thought, but that's just a derivation of the word, so that's not a really good one. And I looked at a lot of definitions, and I really was struggling with it. But something came to me, and I'm just going to share it with you. And, and that is the definition that I have, have come to believe and understand is it's defined in two words. Reverence is defined in two words. Preeminent adoration. And, and they came kind of into my mind because I remembered what, what the Bible tells us in Colossians 1.18 where it says, Jesus, Jesus, our Lord is supposed to have the preeminence in everything. That means he's supposed to be first in our priorities, first in our values, and the first thing that influences us, has the most influence. So that's what preeminence is. God being first in priority, value, and influence in our lives. And then adoration isn't a word that, that I use, but I remember that we usually sing it around Christmas time. Oh, come, let us adore him. Adore him. Adoration. Adoration. What does it mean? Well, adoration means to be completely devoted completely trusting. Adoration means to fully devote our love and our worship to God. What are we devoted to? What do we love? What do we worship? You know, I used to struggle with with going to India because of all the idolatry they have. It's very overt. Out in the open. And I thought, you know, that's just so sad. But I have to tell you, America probably has more idols that we worship, but it's very covert. We have so many things we worship. Now, when we talk about what do you worship, what do you adore, what do you love, 
If, if you and I are going to look to find the idols in our lives other than God, look at what you spend your time doing most, what you're most passionate about, what we spend our finances on. The things that take those three up are what we are adoring besides God. And when I look at my life in that light, I realize there are some things that need to go. Some things that need to be pushed to the side so God can come to the center. Now, does that mean my life is, I'm not, I'm not going to heaven? No, I'm going to heaven, but I'm letting hell get a grip. And when hell gets a grip, there's a price to pay. And you may say, well, I, you know, I was hoping that I would come and just be encouraged today. By the end, I hope you are encouraged. Because you're going to have the opportunity to be a viable part of the move of God in these last days for the end time harvest. But God needs an exceedingly great army. God's looking across all the earth for someone who fears him, who reverences him, who is in awe of him, who trusts him and who will obey him no matter what. And I am believing that God's going to find many people in the churches in Rome, New York, Many people in America that are so done, so over with the petty divisions that we want Jesus lifted up in our lives, in our families, in our communities, in our church, that all people, like the Bible says, will be drawn to him. This is the hour. This is the hour, we are the people, but that unity comes from the reverence of God. And we're going to see, we have already looked at it and seen it in Scripture where there's a pattern. There is the fear of God, there is unity that comes, and then there's revival. We cannot possibly have revival until there's unity. Now, that doesn't mean the whole nation's going to be united. But do you know that where we see these places that the Spirit of God is moving, these people have put aside their differences. Whether it's age, whether it's economics, whether it's race, whatever it is, none of that matters. You know what matters? God, Jesus. We just want to worship God. We just want to be together and loving Him and loving each other. And that can happen here. That can happen where you go. Every step you take, that revival can flow. But we've got to have a true reverence for God. That he would have the preeminence and the adoration that he alone deserves. And when that happens... Then people of like-minded faith, people start to connect because it's not about this denomination or that denomination. I mean, the church has been fractured for years because this one didn't agree with that one. 
The only thing we need to agree on and make it dominant is there is salvation through only one, and his name is Jesus. And anything else that divides, let it go. If it's not going to keep them out of heaven, and the only thing that keeps us out of heaven is our rejection of Jesus as Messiah, Savior. And we fear God. Because when we fear God, there's a natural thing that happens, a supernatural thing that happens. There's a unity that starts to occur, and we're going to talk about that in the upcoming weeks. But the unity occurs, and then out of unity comes revival. So they were, they were fearing God. And then Peter, we find that the Spirit of God was poured out on them. They were filled with the Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues. And last week we had seven people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. I will tell you, just, just for whatever, if you don't speak in tongues, it doesn't keep you from heaven. But it doesn't enable you to do some of the things that God would have you do. Praying the perfect will of God, building yourself up on your most holy faith, like it says in Jude. There are a lot of things, and, and Jesus told his disciples, man, you can't go out and do, you can't go out and be what I have for you to be and do what I have for you to do until you receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when he did, tongues was a manifestation. And it is in other places throughout the book of Acts. And the book of Acts, you're still writing the book of Acts. I know it says the Acts of the Apostles, but it's the Acts of the church because that's where the church started. The church started right here. And so Peter, Peter, with all these other disciples, spill out into the streets. They hear him speaking in tongues, but they hear what they hear is in their own language, them proclaiming the glorious works of God. And Peter explains to them what's happened and explains other things and explains who Jesus is and how God made him the Christ. And they crucified him. And at that point, they were cut to their heart. That's what it says. It says that they were cut to their heart because the word that Peter was speaking was prophetic. It was directed by God, guided by God, inspired by God, and yet it was the sword of the Spirit, and it pierced through all their religiousness. And in verse 38, they were asking, what shall we do? What shall we do? And Peter says, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the, re for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises to you and to your children and to those far away for all who have been called by the Lord God. So, this starts to happen, and things start to, to, to flow and occur. And then in verse 40, 41, I'm sorry, it says, Therefore, those who accepted and welcomed the message were baptized, and there were added to them that day about 3,000 souls. Revival. Revival. Because there was a fear of the Lord. They were in one place in one accord. There was a unity and all of a sudden, because they were focused on God, obedient to God, submissive to God, yielded to God, trusting in God, God begins to move and people are getting saved. Not unlike what's going on today. Verse 42, they steadfastly persevered, devoting themselves constantly to the instruction 
and fellowship of the apostles, to the breaking of bread, including the Lord's Supper, like we did today, and prayers. And a sense of awe, reverential fear, came upon every soul. Again, we see another, another move of this reverence for God. This preeminent adoration. This prioritizing and, and committing completely to worship and to adore God. Reverence came upon everyone. And many wonders and signs were performed through. Notice through. Because God is the one that does them. But he does them. He's looking for somebody to do them through. When we reverence God, when we're willing to unite as God connects us, there's an ability for God to move through you, through that group, like no other time. They're special messengers. And all who believed, who had adhered to and trusted in and relied on Jesus Christ were united together and had everything in common. Everything in common. Another unity. There was awe, now there's unity. And in verse 46, it goes on to say this. So continuing daily with one accord, another unity in the temple. And breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Fear of the Lord, unity, revival, a second time within the same chapter. And, and we're going to see this throughout Acts, and we've got one more place that we're going to go to and, and, and look at it, but we are going to look at subsequent ones in the upcoming weeks. So in Acts chapter 5, we see this, this pattern repeated. Acts chapter 5, there's a situation that goes on. Acts chapter 4, we see that the Apostle Paul was being used, uh, that there was a great multitude of those who believed and were of one heart and soul. Um, and had all things in common. Great grace was on the apostles. Uh, people were selling things and helping out each other because they were there for the Feast of Pentecost. Now it's been days longer than that. They've run out of resources. Guess what they didn't have? Restaurants. Guess what they didn't have? Grocery stores. Guess what they didn't have? Convenience stores where you can run in and get some junk and run out. They didn't have that. They were there. They were determined. I'm not leaving because God's here. I want what God has. And because of that, they stayed. And everybody looked around and they said, you know what? I got something I can give. And they gave what they, they had and they sold what they could and they gave it to the apostles and the apostles got everything out to whoever needed and at that point, there was a man by the name of Barnabas. He's called the son of encouragement. And Barnabas was wealthy, as far as we know. He had a piece of land that he sold and brought the total revenue to the apostles and said, use this. What do you think would happen if you sold something very valuable and, and you gave it to a cause? Do you think you might get a little notoriety? Come on. Yeah, I, I want to tell you something about this church. I have no idea what any of you give. Long time ago, I made sure 
that everybody on staff knew, I don't want to know what anybody gives because I don't want that to influence me at all. And I would love to say that would never influence me, but I, you know, it's a temptation. And so I didn't want that, that temptation. I didn't want that influence. But I will tell you this, if you come and want counseling on finances, one of the first things I'm going to look at is your giving. Because if you're missing giving to God, you're already on the wrong path. But Barnabas gave this, and it stirred up something that was not godly. And there were two people that, that saw what happened with Barnabas, and they thought, you know what, we got stuff to sell. And they sold a piece of land, but they didn't do what Barnabas did. They didn't give everything. Now listen. It's not about how much you give. It's about what God has for you to give. Okay? Obedience. Willingness and obedience. You'll eat the good of the land. But they came to the apostles. They gave them a certain amount of money, which was a portion of what they had sold the land for, but they had portrayed that they had given them all of it. And, and the one that they gave this money to said, why have you desired to lie to the Holy Spirit and fell dead. A few minutes, maybe hours later, the wife came in. Same thing. Operated in lie. What, what is a lie? Sin. What is the payoff of sin? Death. You can't stand in the presence of God with sin. That's what the Bible says. Sin can't stand in the presence of God. Did God kill them? No. Their sin did. And so they fell dead. And, and we pick this up in verse 11. It says, by this time the whole church, and in fact everyone who heard these things had a healthy respect for God, don't you know? Do you know that healthy respect should be in our lives all the time? We've had so many teachings on God loves us, God loves us, God loves us. Is that true? Absolutely. But if all we major on is God loves us, we forget that God is a holy God. God is a just God. You can't major on just one aspect of God because he's more than that. And we've gotten so conscious of his love, we've gotten very familiar with him, very comfortable with him, which is okay. He is the closest one to us, but he is still the most high God. He is still holy. He is still righteous. He still wants his people to be holy. They had a healthy respect of God. We in the church have lost our respect for God. We don't have a health. If we did, we wouldn't be acting and choosing the things we do. I didn't say you, I said we. If we really knew God is God and he knows everything, oh yeah, but he'll forgive. He'll forgive when we repent. Repent isn't saying, oh, I'm sorry I got caught. Repent is saying, I'm turning out of this and God, I need your help to stay away from this stuff. And not one to be trifled with. Then it goes on to say in verse 12 through 14, look what happens. So there is a fear of God, an awe of God, a respect of God, a reverence of God. 
And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. They were all with one accord. There's the unity. We've got the fear of God, the awe of God, the reverence of God. Now we've got the unity of God in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them because the people esteemed them highly. Because they feared God, all of a sudden, there was a respect that was given to the Christians. Now that cycles throughout our society. There are times it's cool, it's the right thing, it's the in thing to be a Christian, say that you're a Christian. Although many people that say they're Christians and wear crosses and, and, and praise Jesus don't follow them because they don't know them. Just because they say with their mouth. Because Jesus said, there's coming a time where many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. The fear of the Lord. Unity. Revival. The fear of the Lord. The reverence of God. The awe of God. The respect of God. This, this just intangible to others out there, but very real to us, that there is no one like God. No one we want. No one we, we worship. No one we desire. Before God or above God. And all of a sudden, the Bible talks about those that are of like-minded faith. They start to be drawn together. And people watch them being drawn by the power of God, by the presence of God, by the provision of God. And all of a sudden, they're being drawn towards God. Do you know, how can we ever expect to draw people to God if we're not being drawn to God? If we're being drawn to the same stuff they're being drawn to, they're going to see through us. But when we get that true fear of the Lord, starts to draw the people of God that have a heart for God together and other people are being drawn and saved like every head bowed, every eye closed it is so important church that we recognize the hour that we're living in we are living in the last of the last days before the Lord Jesus comes back there is a harvest that is unprecedented the Bible tells us that the biggest harvest of souls is before the return of the Lord. And he needs people that will shepherd, that will care for, that will, will assist and encourage, and that's us. But it's going to take us realigning priorities from the things that have been the most important priorities to him. Realigning values. What, what, what do we value? We value him before we value anything else. And after we value him, we value others. What influences us? What we worship? What we love? And this can only happen when we, we make God first in our lives.
And until that happens, this can't even begin. And this morning, if you're here and you've been listening or you're online, you've been listening and you realize, man, I, I know about God, but I've never taken the step to give myself to God. To commit myself to the one who committed himself for me. And I'm going to ask you if that's you. I want to pray with you today, but I want to know who I'm praying with. For you to, to repent as, as I've done. And I continue to do at times. I have to turn back to God because I've gotten off track. But I've been saved. I've been born again. Because I've asked Jesus to come into my life, to be Lord of my life. My Lord, my Master, my Savior. And I want that for you. God wants that for you so that he can begin to move in your life like never before. And if that's you here in the sanctuary... I want to I pray with you, and I'm not going to call you out and stand you up and pray with you alone. We're all going to pray together, but I want to know who it is, because I want to be able to pray for you after this service is over. So if that's you, you, you want to turn your life over to God. You want to repent from running your own life and receive Jesus as your Lord and His forgiveness to cleanse you of your sin and break the power of sin and become a new creation in Christ, then I just want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. That's me. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus, who you freely gave and who freely came into this world and lived a sinless life and went to the cross to pay the price for my sin. Lord Jesus, I've sinned. I come to you today in a need of a Savior. I repent. I turn my life over to you. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Guide me. Govern me. Guard me. Grow me, Lord, to be more like you. I thank you from this day forward. I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.